On this episode of Kibbe on Liberty, we're going to do something that's never been done before. We're going to talk to an anarcho-capitalist, Christian, rap, heavy metal libertarian. His name's Eric July, and we're going to talk about everything about music. We're going to talk about anarcho-capitalism, and we're going to talk about how it is that we can reach the next generation with the ideas of liberty. Check it out. to all your stuff but you know we'll just we'll just see what's going to happen yeah. here so uh tell people who you are <laughs> and why you're here yeah well i'm here because obviously we want to have a great conversation we want to talk about some cool stuff talk about liberty see how we can free these people from these uh these shackles but i do a little bit of everything thankfully i was exposed to a lot of different things as a youngster um, so a lot of people know me from the music side of things, being in a hardcore band, being in backwards, yelling at the top of my lungs. Some people knew me before then, uh, doing just strictly rap stuff. And um, then you have you have those that know me for uh, obviously being libertarian, which was something that I started as a co-founder maybe a couple of years. Well, no, it's, we're pushing on three or four years by this point. And it grew just like that. Um, sort of that cultural approach, sort of like we have with the music, we had that with the approach with the platform. So now that it's grown, it's expanded so much. So you got people that know me from these different avenues. It really just depends. Uh, I get people that, hey man, I see your videos, are you talking over at Being Libertarian? Hey, I saw, uh, you know, I heard your song, or hey, I see that you, you know, you're, you're in the comics and stuff like that. So People know me from a lot of different things, and uh, I, I might come up with something new next year that I want to pursue um, and try to add to I it. Told, I told the guys, um, my producers, that that I had discovered this Christian anarchist, hip hop, hardcore, anarcho capitalist guy, and I wanted to have him on the show, and, and yeah. they were like that guy exists <laughs> there is such a thing yeah it's probably it's, not a this lot is of like it. the beauty of liberty like there 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 can be anything anything's possible but you're you're the front man for backwards mm -hmm. and what's what's your title at uh, being libertarian uh well i'm the head of multimedia so meaning everything related to you know video podcasting as well um i handle all of that not only just producing my own platform uh, or my own like videos and stuff like that, um, but also we have a team of people that I sort of facilitate in that regards as well. So, and that's continuing to grow. Uh, that's sort of the, you know, we put that on a back burner for a long time. It was more about the memes at first. It was the cool little funny little post that turned into to the articles, more formal articles. And now, you know, we more so in this last couple of years, certainly picked up on a video always trying to figure out new things that we could do uh, because I think a lot of people are visual visual learners certainly these days because they you know spend their time with the nose in the phone or on a monitor so giving them something visual to look at um, as well so whatever we can do I'm always trying to be creative find new ways to reach people and also at this point you know we're always scouting talent as well because I think there's a lot of individuals that that don't realize that are part of this you know more liberty community that are, are you know they have their own little niche and i would love to at least shine a spotlight on them because i think in this day and age people sort of think of us libertarians as like these um unicorns that don't really you know mingle with society or anything like that we're not regular people you know yeah, we're weirdos yeah. and some of us are and, and we earn yeah, yeah. we earn some of that yeah yeah well, absolutely but a lot of us are regular yeah. individuals that have interests just like every other individual so i would love to show that and i think um, if anything, if I have anything critical of what I see from other people from the movement, uh, if you want to call it that, is that we don't put a big enough spotlight on those sorts of individuals that exist. Yeah, and, and I, I, I think even to take it a step further, some, sometimes I will give talks at, at uh, Ivy League schools. Mm -hmm. And in particular, I remember this one experience where I was, uh, I was sort of the token libertarian on a very progressive platform with a bunch of other 
um, sort of intellectual types, and I casually used the word libertarian, which I assumed was safe in the sense that people at least know what it is now. And the professor that was running the event stopped me and he said, hold on, uh, Matt, let me just ask people, does anyone here know what a libertarian is? And th these are all young people from Ivy League schools and there wasn't a single hand that went up. So, and I, I, th I think that could be really frustrating, but it, it might also be good news. Like we have a blank canvas. We, we, we can tell this story, we can paint this picture in a way, and, and what I like most about, about your story is you're, you're going upstream of politics. This, is, this isn't about politics at all. It's about culture, and it's about, it's about values, and it's about connecting with people and, and, and making liberty like a cool thing that, that all the cool kids wanna be when they grow up. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I got into like music. I mean, um, or more so what I, what I, why, I, why I wanted to use my, my art as a vehicle yeah. to to spread this message that I truly believe in. Other philosophies, they that's what they do. And I figured like, man, what what would it take for me to just take the talents, the God given talents that and the the crafts that I worked on as well, um, you know, and singing and and, and, and and rapping and screaming and doing whatever and trying to mix all of that stuff up and present it in a way that I know a certain sectors would be able to digest it. Yeah. I've been a part of, you know, metalcore, hardcore communities uh, for, for a decade now. You know, I'm a young guy, I'm only 28 years old, but certainly for a decade I was in it in a sense of uh, being a performer. And I would say about five years or so, it clicked like, hey man, I have something that I truly believe in. Why don't my lyrics more so reflect that? And in doing so, I don't have to hit any sort of off switch. Like I can just come in a medium like this and we can chat about uh, these beautiful ideas, but I can also drop those hints in, in, in music. And it doesn't feel like I'm beating you over the head with it because the music came first. It was, that was the primary thing. I wanted to make music that people could listen to, people would enjoy, people could relate to. And it just happened to have that philosophical backing. So that came second. It was make good music first, find a, a good set of musicians first that we could, you know, we were cohesive, we made good music, and then we presented it and people responded to it. And every other day, it seems like I get people that are messaging myself or the other singer and they're saying, hey man, I was introduced to this. I saw, you know, I looked up you guys as individuals. I saw you, you had been talking about some of the, material that you put in your music you know and that's something that's intriguing i wouldn't have never heard it had it not been for them just seeing us and that is my rule like if i can get in front of a venue 500 cap room or something like that and even one of those people that didn't know who we were walked away from that and was like man i, I could i could relate to it he said something that i wanted to at least look into maybe he doesn't get it that day maybe it doesn't click until a few months from now uh, a year from now and he has that experience and he can relate to something that I said. To me, that's a victory. Um, that's one person that didn't understand, that wouldn't been ha have been exposed to that. Because certainly, I know you can speak in your experience as well. I mean, a lot of this, this cultural, the stuff that we're involved in is so dominated by progressives. That's the one narrative that you know is going to be there, is going to be prominent. They're going to listen to it. They're going to yeah. hear it, be exposed to it. Um, it's like I just wanted to give them sort of an alternative to what it is that they, because like, you know, certainly in your experience, they didn't know what it was. They maybe heard people mention what a libertarian was or mention libertarianism quite often. If they do know it, it's like a straw man version sure. of what libertarianism yeah, there's a, there's, is. At, at most, there's a caricature. But you, you said something that I, I think is important advice to the next generation of libertarians that want to connect in popular culture. You said that first came putting together a talented group of musicians and making good music. And I feel like a lot of uh, quote unquote libertarian art is just self-aware, like yeah. we're gonna turn a white paper into a movie. Yeah. And, and it's, it sucks. Yeah, because, no, that's exactly. Because that's not, that's not, how, that's not how culture works. And, and I think our progressive friends do a much better job credit them all the time. Of, of telling a beautiful story or making a song um, and, and creating an environment where people want it. They're like, 
I'm in. I want to be part of this. And and the ideas don't come until afterwards. AOC is great at this. Like she she creates uh, an environment in her first video. I'm agreeing. I'm two thirds through the video, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sick and tired of crony capitalism. I'm tired of uh, entrenched politicians in Washington, D.C. that don't give a crap about their communities back home. And then all of a sudden we're talking about Medicare for all, but, but, but you could see where she would hook somebody that, that had never thought about, well, what is the rational Austrian argument for the provision of health care? Right, right. But, uh, let's take a step back, because I, I, want, I want people to understand um, a little bit more about, about your band backwards and... And you guys had a big year in the last, well, big two years. The last yeah. two years have been very successful. Tell people, like, like what's happened if they don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, because when I tell people, I think because a lot of people are used to just libertarians, like you mentioned, having that corny sort of art um, where it's more so they're massaging their own ego than anything. And yeah. I think that when I tell people that maybe aren't familiar with the band, uh, that I'm in a band, I think that's where they, where they go. Some always just in some little you know, garage band or something like that. And they look us up and they see the millions of views and they're like, wait a minute, these guys are for real. Uh, And yeah, but it all, we all came from semi-successful bands before we had formed backwards. Uh, All of us, myself, uh, the the instrumentalists, all came from bands that were doing something in the scene that was notable. You guys can play. Yeah, exactly. We're good at- You're not messing around. Right, now these are guys that have been playing their instruments for forever. I've been singing and songwriting since I was a kid. Um, So it, that came first. It was never, and it wasn't ever forced. It was an accident. I left my other band. I don't tell a lot of people this, but I, I left my other band and I didn't, I didn't even know if music was, I was doing a lot of ghostwriting, but I didn't know if I was going to, or when, at some, whatever point that was going to be, that I was going to have my own project again and what that project was going to be. And the, our producer now linked me up with some guys said, hey, man, they want to gear a band towards your talents because I, I had a falling out with my last band when I started mixing some of those elements in rap elements as well as liberty based elements. I the, the song I went out on was called The Capitalist. <laughs> that was the name of, of, of the song for my for my last band that I did. And we had a falling out about, you know, direction, econ, stuff like that. Um, and he was like, hey, these guys want to gear something towards you know, your vocals towards your approach. And I was like, okay, I'll at least listen. And I, I remember them sending me a demo. I was like, this is incredible. Like this was, and I was thinking of stuff right on the dot. And it worked out perfectly. And then later on, we reached out to, a, you know, the second vocalist and Alex, who was, you know, fellow hardcore libertarian. And it was a hand and glove fit. So it was an it was a natural sort of thing. It was an accident, but I think it working out like that was what made this pop off. And we were so, because we were like, all right, we want to make sure that whatever is going to be our direction is going to be our direction. We're going to go about it. Some people are going to like it. Some people are going to dislike it. It's going to be what it's going to be. And we had some a successful first song release. And then one thing led to another. We always made sure we presented ourselves as professional artists. I think that's what a lot of individuals lack, not just libertarians, not just rock musicians. People have, all right, I got this good good song idea or something like that. But, you you know, you got to pay to get it mixed. You got to pay to get it mastered, recorded in the first place. You got to have some sort of visual with it, music videos. We did all of that, paid out of pocket for all of that to let people know that we are for real. And one thing led to another. And our first album, Veracity, landed on so many. But I can't count the amount of Billboard charts that it land you know landed on all the sound scans you know being number one alternative new artist number two heat seeker uh you know being top 10 and 11 and in, in, in rock and rock and uh rap hardcore we didn't even know we were going to get on the rap charts but they put us on there as well um and so we did very very well and i think that showed a lot of liberty based artists that there's a market for it it's just a way that you have to go about it you yeah. know and it's we wanted to make sure that the music came before everything. I didn't want people to feel like I was beating them over the head with with philosophy, right? right. It was about the music first. We had a target, and you, that was a community that we had been a, been a part of, bands that we had loved, that type of music. 
and we put our own spin on it. But it was about the music. It was about the art first. So when people were listening to it, they didn't even know what the what the lyrics even meant um, uh, because they was jamming to like the vocal patterns, to the to the guitars, uh, to the drums. And then once they read the lyrics, it was like, oh, he, he's talking about this. Yeah. So it was about the art first. It's about the culture first. And it was about, you know, targeting that before we even was going to put the cherry on top and having those uh, philosophical liberty sort of you know, I even got a praxeology, praxeology song. So, you know. I never thought yeah. in a million years that I'd be listening to a song called Praxeology. Exactly. And I th is that the song where you name drop Mises? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Hayek. Hayek and all those guys. Yeah. yeah. Like, and it was, that was, it was a straightforward song. Um, yeah. But it was to a groove that those people could, could respond to. And that was, that's important. I don't think people understand that. And this is. Why I'm always talking about culture and cultural infiltration. It's like, man, you, you, everybody I feel like has some sort of subculture that they're a part of, that they can relate to other individuals that has absolutely nothing to do with politics. Right. That's your ticket. Right. You know, that, that's your ticket in, in trying to influence them positively. Um, from certainly from a libertarian standpoint, you already have something that you, that you relate to. You shouldn't have to beat them over the head. Um, you know, with the philosophy, you just you already belong to that that particular subculture. So it's it, I bet you that it's it's harder than ever to to penetrate the Billboard list because you know it's the the, the good news is is you don't have to go convince Elektra Records mm -hmm. that your stuff can yeah. sell a million units, and and so everything's been democratized and decentralized, and and the record industrial complex is gone. And that's that's a place where where creative disruption can happen, but it also means there's lots of competition, I assume. And so, like, how do you how do you break through? And I'm and oddly enough, I'm thinking about about Ron Paul right now because the Ron Paul revolution could not have happened without the internet. Not at all. There's no way it could have happened. And he, you know, he's using presidential politics as sort of a pop culture uh, entry point where, you know, most people don't care about politics most people don't pay attention but once in a while every four years we have this conversation and and ron paul leveraged that but you know the money bombs the the message none of that could have happened without technology that has to be true for for backwards too right how do, how do you oh, yeah how do you sell your stuff yeah i mean that was i would say a large portion of our success is due to that you used to have to go through those mediums right you have to go through all of those mediums the record man yeah yeah, yeah. to get to even get people to listen to, to it even to get your stuff on on a lot of the platforms that exist but with with streaming services and, and now there's a straight line to just getting my stuff on the spotify's of the world on the um you know itunes of the world like i can just get it out there youtube i can get it out there for people to listen to and for people to see, and that is a relatively new phenomena, yep. it, it, certainly in music. That is relatively new. This is why the industry, the, the labels can't even catch up anymore. Um, and I think they're gonna become more obsolete than ever. Certainly uh, they are, I feel like they already are, but I think they're just, this is gonna, it's more of a momentous thing. They're gonna become more and more obsolete as more individuals realize, wait a minute, I can get my stuff out there to people and I can own my own, you know, masters and my own publishing and, and all of that. Are you, are you serious? So that allowed us, and it worked to our advantage. But like you said, there is a catch with that because it's like oversaturated with with musicians now everybody that you can't even definitely because a lot of stuff is digitized you don't even have to be the best player of your instrument to yeah. to, to record something that people may respond to and people may may like but we the, the key with us was always having that that sort of visual representation so we had those music videos and they were creative music videos. They told a narrative. Um, so it caught people's attention and people would see it and like, oh man, they, there's this, you know, there's these guys and they, they have some cool lyrics and they have some cool message behind it. And that's being shown to me visually and it, and it keeps their attention. So, and because our style stuck out like a sore thumb and just myself being, you know, I come from a, not just a hip hop and R&B, you know, background, but, you know, 90s New Jack and, and Motown soul stuff that I grew up. My mother 
influenced me on. And, and these other guys came from different sort of rock and blues background. I came from that as well. And we just implemented, though, th that style sort of in our in our record, which is why we were able to produce a sound that nobody else really could do. They didn't. You, you get guys that maybe try to mix, for example, rap with, with rock stuff, but the rapper isn't really that good. You know what I mean? Or, uh, you know, you. but I was able to do multiple different things because I did come from a rap background, uh, but I also worked on my skill set and becoming a better screamer and becoming a, a decent singer. And we were able to mix all those elements. It was free reign. And we don't have a A&R or a, a label in the back of our, our head or in our ear saying, hey, man, you got you need to gear your sound towards this. And I think more people responded to it because I think it could have ended up a, a different way had we signed. Yeah, um, we, we purposely said we would never do that. And we, we didn't. And I think that having that free reign and being able to do whatever we wanted to do, I think that worked to our benefit. But it's about the art first. And yeah, it might be oversaturated, but the way that you can stick out is give people something they could see as well as what they could hear but what they what you hear has to be something solid like we go to the best you know our producer i feel like he's the best in the in the business in terms of making us sound great you know what i mean making us sound great and then we do it live and it sounds good as well um, but we worked on our sound and came up with something from a creative standpoint first and foremost and we just happen to stick out because we covered all of our bases every single single that we released initially had a music video to it. I don't know how I got I got over like maybe ten video music videos to our name. Um, you got bands that have existed for way longer than us that don't have that that you know that number of of music videos. But we did that because we think a lot of people are visual learners. They want to see that they're in their phones, they're on their uh, on their computer, and they want to see it as well as uh, you know as well as hear it. And it worked to our advantage. I think that you know that decentralized process where where there isn't like a record company executive deciding what the public wants, um, it it sort of frees up the process, and it's it's probably going to kind of turbocharge the the mutation and evolution and and creation of new music. Absolutely, absolutely, but. But I, I think music itself is sort of uh, a great explainer. If you love music and, and you love the way that it changes and, and borrows from, from traditions and, and then turns it into something new, which is exactly what you guys have done, it sort of explains, like you're, you're struggling to explain how markets figure stuff out. And you know Hayek talks about spontaneous order, but nobody knows what that means. Mm -hmm. but, but just look at the, the history of, of American music and how it, how it evolved and, and was was stolen. I I think about. I'm a, I'm a huge John John Coltrane fan, mm -hmm. and and I particularly love his more radical hardcore stuff towards the end of his life. But there's this awesome old story where where Miles Davis, uh, John Coltrane is is ascending, and Miles Davis is still sort of stuck in the hard bop tradition. He's sort of a purist. I'm I'm going to play this kind of music, and Coltrane's doing 10, 15, 20 minute atonal solos yeah. and you can actually listen they just released some some new live albums where the crowd is booing <laughs> and he doesn't care because he's he's pushing them to think about something differently and miles davis is on side of the stage uh bitching and complaining about it what is he doing i don't this isn't music all that stuff yeah and it's that it's that sort of creative disruption that is exactly like what mises talks about when he talks about entrepreneurship Yep. No, it's, it's not about maximizing profits. It's about looking around the corner of history and coming up with something that that people don't even know they want yet. Yeah. And it's, it's so unpredictable. Right. I mean, that's that's part of it. And that's I think when we talk about markets from a libertarian standpoint, music is certain, certainly a great example of that because it evolves, it changes and people are attracted to things that they just could not have predicted five, even five years ago that you can't say pinpoint this is going to be the sound that people are going to run with. I, I think maybe you could have controlled it a lot more with when you had to go through the record, man. But now certainly more than ever, it's like people don't even don't even know people are pulling things out of the bag and and becoming more creative. They're mixing genres more than ever. And it's becoming you're hearing new sounds and again, people couldn't predict that. And that's just the, the market in action when people are free because of the decentralization now. Um, I think it's a, it's a perfect example because the more freer people are, the more creative uh, you know, they're, they're coming up with to try to be successful, obviously, in this market and cr capture whatever part of the market they can, 
they can capture, but they're coming up with with new things in the process. And then other people build upon those new things. They come up with their own thing, uh, make it better. And, and, and a lot, lot, lot of instances, I think we saw that with rap, like certainly over the years, I mean, and how you could listen back to the, you know, hip hop, the hippie, the hippie, like back then. And then you go like into the 90s and how lyrical word, the wordplay, how it just sort of warped. And yeah. when, the, when the Cool G raps and the Nas's of the world came and they were just the way they were stringing together these words. And then you got a guy like Eminem, who was a product of all of that, who is from a metaphorical standpoint, is doing things that are is unheard of. Um, and able to rhyme so, so many times in a short period of time. Like that was, you, you listen to the first sort of Sugar Hill game. It's like a physical wonder that he yeah. gets, spits so many words yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I'm, I'm, like, I'm in awe. I can barely form a sentence myself, so I, I sort of resent him. Yeah, but it, it's an example of how just an idea, you know yeah. what I mean, the boom bap came to where it is now when you're having a lot of people where it's more of an expectation that you to, to be more more lyrical and stuff like that. So it's I love music in that aspect because certainly as it becomes more and more decentralized, nobody knows. Nobody really knows how people are going to respond. And there's always new artists that are propping up that are, that are self-made for the most part, certainly more than ever now. Self-made artists that are coming up and people are digging their music and now more than ever because they're able to get it to people. Like this is a straight line of YouTube, straight line of iTunes. They can get it there, get it uploaded. People can listen to it, word of mouth, or uh, they can spread it, email it, you know, upload it, whatever they do. And it just spreads like wildfire and it does it so fast. But it's because people are able uh, to just more free than what yeah. they ever were back in the gap when you had to go through the record, man. Let's uh, so let's take a step back and and talk a little bit about about where you come from, your childhood, and I'm curious how on earth you ever found libertarian ideas. Yeah, uh, so I grew up Dallas, Texas. Um, father was around for a little bit, for but for the vast majority of my life, it was I was raised by a single mother, um, family full of leftists putting it bluntly, and that's just more so it's like leftists have this political monopoly, certainly in predominantly black communities and just black culture in general. And going into college, I remember learning more so about economics. And I was still stuck in a box. I wanted to know about the black economists. I didn't want to hear what, what, what white economists had to say. They could have said the same thing. But thank God I came across the likes of the Thomas Sowell, great Thomas Sowell, Dr. Thomas Sowell, and Walter E. Williams. And certainly the both of them changed my life, certainly the latter, because the latter and Walter, uh, and Walter Williams, he speaks on some of the gripes. that There are some legitimate gripes that these communities have. Some aren't so legitimate, but the, the more so legitimate gripes and pointing that guess anger right and seeing what the state for what it what it was as opposed to pointing to like the phantom white man or, or something like that but pointing to what the state is and how it created this this atmosphere and seeing it like that and seeing it broke down like that whether it be his his state against blacks or anything like that and just thinking critically about that like man well uh, it's my gripe really with these people i think it's more so with the state and, and the atmosphere and the environment that it's sort of more so artificially uh, created. And you look at the history of black folks, certainly in America, be it slave codes, you know, all the way to, you know, Jim Crow laws, the, the Plessy versus Ferguson's of the world, all the Supreme Court cases, um, Dred Scott v. Sanford that set this precedent, right? And it was the arm of the, and this is why you know Walter Williams always says, like you know, it's the, it's the that's the arm of of these quote unquote racists is the state. But unfortunately, I think a lot of people within these communities have convinced us that well, hey, you got to use the government, or the government is your friend. Uh, just vote for me. Um, I will expand the government, and I will help out everybody. So. And just seeing my uh, reading that and that just sent me down this rabbit hole, right, of 
okay, Walter Williams turned into, okay, Chicago economics, that turned into more the Austrian uh, side of things. So learning about Rothbard, just reading the anatomy of the state by Rothbard, just, it was like, like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, this, this is how this, it made sense. It made so much sense. But I wouldn't have started thinking like that had it been not been for just reading like even basic economics as well as like uh, seeing the talks. These are stuff these guys were saying long before I was even thought about being born. Uh, certainly soil and, and and a lot of, the, you know, minimum wage and how that's affected these communities. And more so, uh, certainly Austrianism got me thinking as an individual, you know what I mean? And thinking about that, I'm like, man. It just started to make sense. So it was a rabbit hole. One thing, it was like one thing came, yeah. came another, you know? So, like uh, uh, Thomas Sowell has written the best Hayek book I think there is because Hayek can be pretty hard to mm. read. The translation from German is pretty pretty difficult, but but um, Sowell is such an amazing writer. He has a book called Knowledge and Decisions. I have to just have to give a shout out to my yeah, favorite yeah. Thomas Sowell book. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's so many you could choose from um, but your story, it, it, it triggers a, a memory from a couple years ago. So our team was, was traveling to South Africa and, and we, were, we were doing a series called The Deadly Isms, mm. Socialism, Fascism, Authoritarianism. And we did one on racism and we did it in uh, South Africa and a study of apartheid. And when I was, when I was researching that, I discovered a book review of the state against Blacks by Walter Williams that I wrote when I was in graduate school at George Mason studying under Walter Williams. Yeah. And, and I had totally forgotten that I had written this, but um, you know, to your point, um, the entire apartheid system is a government elected by a majority imposing racist policies to hold people down. And every example you just cited, and this is like, uh, this is this is part of the narrative that we lose because it it would always be evil for a majority, be they black or white, mm. to use the apparatus of the state Absolutely. to to exploit people, to abuse people, and you know it, it's in that book where Walter Williams points out that the minimum wage was used by the white majority to prevent black people from getting jobs. Yep. In, in apartheid South Africa. And yet today, it's, it's almost a religion. $15 minimum wage yeah. is, is viewed as, as, as the only socially just thing to do. In effect, it, it keeps um, people from getting jobs. Yeah, I mean, that was, it's funny. I see a lot of black folks championing that. And even, you don't even have to, but yeah, you go Australia, you can go South Africa. I mean, even here, when you want to talk about uh, minimum wage in this country it was used to price, you know, union workers trying to price women, ch uh, children, as well as black people out of the market. You know what I mean? And that's people of color get screwed. First. Yeah, exactly. And this yeah. is why, you know, even now you look at black teenage unemployment and how it's always among the highest in the country, among any sort of demographic. And this is because a lot of these and how Walter Williams was that these people, black kids, go to these rotten schools, right, Use, useless, not really learning anything, not becoming effective, learning how to be effective and useful in the marketplace. So the only way to become useful is to work, right, or prove their worth is to work. And the minimum wage, unfortunately, says it's basically saying, hey, I'm making it illegal to hire you. Even if you, you might mop floors to get your foot in the door, I'll pay you $6 an hour to do it. Well, Federal minimum wage says you gotta pay me seven to I can't afford I can just pay somebody at the register um to work the register and to do that as well, even though I'd be a hundred percent up for hiring you for less. So it's pricing these people out of the market. It's one of the most rotten laws. Minimum wage is one of the more rotten laws to exist. And unfortunately, these progressive have they have convinced, and it's not just with black folks, it's with a, a lot of individuals that these sort of laws, these regulations are to liberate people. And it's not how it works. It's, it's economically, it's not sound by any means, but unfortunately you do have a lot of individuals that are able to convince them. Um, and, and I was one of those youngsters 
you sort of dim-witted youngsters that that thought this was this made a lot of a lot of sense and more so all that it was to just create using the state like it's the sort of the great equalizer completely ignoring the the amounts of debt that is piled up that certainly the federal government has has piled up over the years ignoring the spending habits ignoring um the fact that none of what it does works but just treating it like it's the great equalizer certainly from a from an envious standpoint i think more than ever that's what it's being used as it's like well you, you see somebody thinks somebody has too much money well, for whatever reason, the moral thing to do is give it to the government. Like, for example, that for, for whatever reason, that, that just makes it makes it OK. Just give it the government. We can take more. And people are like, rah, 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 rah. Like, wait a minute. There's something there's something wrong with that. It alone how you're, you know, you, you strong arm these people for the money. But why is it that that institution should have right to it? You know what I mean? And that's that's certainly from what I try to talk about yeah. a lot about in my approach be it whatever demographic, because of my music, because of my background, I'm able to talk to so many different demographics on any different, any given day, and I guess gear the message towards them in whatever way that I think they'd be most responsive to. But that's certainly my approach, is just getting them to, to think about what what is the state, what does it do, and where are our gripes really? When we say that we have a problem with with this, you know, what is it? Is there a regulation? Is there a law that's maybe preventing people from uh, entering the market? We can go all day long about about the regulations and how those and the, the amounts of different laws and 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 licenses that you have to get to even enter. Like if you want to enter the market, you can have the best idea. You can even have enough money to start it. But there's so many different rules you have to follow to just act without the government coming down on you. And it's keeping people that are up there up there and people down there are, are down there and and we don't talk about that enough you know you have a you have a song that that essentially it almost sounds like jordan peterson you're talking about the the virtue of work and yeah how you're going to work harder than everybody else and and i always thought that that was sort of a universal value that that being free to work is is the best way to control your own destiny um, but there is a strain of modern progressivism, particularly not necessarily in Black Lives Matter, but um, in the black community that associates the word work with the word slavery. Mm. And I don't I don't know where that comes from exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that one of the one of the projects here is to convince young people that that work is the only way to get out from under the thumb of somebody else. Yeah, no, I mean, people, for whatever reason, it's like a word that people like demonize, right? Yeah. Um, and this is, you know, like my, the song of Revolution, like Be Great, I was writing that from a, my own personal approach. And I look at, it could have ended a different way. I grew up banging, being a knucklehead. I could be another black statistic, dead or in jail, yeah. which is probably what I should have. It was a lot of close calls and probably what should have should have happened. Um, you know, thank the Lord that it didn't. but. I look at where I came from and where I'm at now, and just because I'm outworking a lot of people, we talked about the music and stuff like that. I was I just outworked effort alone, and it's not saying that it's universal like that'll always happen like that. But I, I firmly believe that if you work hard, if you're that that is uh, ethic, right? That somebody's gonna find valuable somewhere, and you're gonna be able to turn that into something that you know, can essentially make you money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just outworking people. Like, people just don't understand, even to this day, you know, I'm, I'm still young, so I, I, I work work to the wheels for like, like the, my, how long my days are, how early I wake up, and the different things that I'm involved in. I create all my own kind, my videos and stuff. Like, uh, that's all me. I create that content. I learned how to do all of that stuff, uh, how to edit videos, how to shoot videos, how to... Uh, you know, and all this work to get this equipment to to take my videos to the next next level, and you just did it yourself. Yeah, like I did it all my, my by myself. You know, and re definitely in this day and age with YouTube and stuff, like you can learn how to do just about anything you want uh, for for fairly cheap um, in this day and age. So it's it to me hard hard work and work in general should not be anything to be demonized obviously because that to me is me controlling my own destiny this is why the lyric is if i fail that's on, on me like i look at that and if i do something and it doesn't work out it doesn't pan out 
the way that I thought it was, I look at that as more of a, more liberation than anything because it's like, well, I was on my terms. Yeah, I did. It was something that I did that made that happen as opposed to some external uh, boogeyman that's trying to prevent me, uh, you know, from succeeding. So that's my approach is that work is something that, and I, I guess I, I learned a lot of that, to be fair, to, from my mother who worked multiple jobs to not only just keep food on the table, but to allow me to do the things that I wanted to do, like be involved in sports. And that was my ticket out. You know what I mean? I was a great track and field runner, track and field, you know, University of Memphis, as well as Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So that was my ticket out. But she did everything that she could. She worked, you know, wake up early, 6 o'clock, working, go to the second job, wouldn't get back home until like 10 o'clock the night. And that was was on – you know, any given day. So I would see that and I saw her leading by example. And I, to me, that's just liberating. To me, that in itself, work grinding is something that I value, something that I appreciate. And that's a trait that I look at even with other people. We look at whether it be the people that, that are in my band, uh, people that I do business with. I pick up on that. I think anybody pick can value that. Like, hey, man, this person is going to give it whatever they can. It might not work out, but whatever they can, they're going to grind. They're not going to complain or anything like that, man. Like those are people that are valuable and and work shouldn't just it shouldn't be demonized. It's a liberating thing. Yeah, so let's 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 talk about libertarianism and let's let's talk about anarcho-capitalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole platform. But, you know, my my theory of, of libertarian values is that it's basically what mom taught you and she stole it from her mom. And and when we talk about it, we're, we're stealing from mom and yeah. and. It was it was really really controversial stuff like don't kill anybody don't take their stuff work hard mind your own business it's pretty much all the rules you need to live a good life and mm. and some and and I just described I think the entire corpus of of, of libertarian thought yeah. in a nutshell there there might be a couple other things in yeah, there but no, that's much. that in itself it's like libertarianism is not this philosophy i think even even libertarians sometimes try to make it a lot more complicated than what it is it's it's fairly simple the way that i word it is it's it's a philosophy based on private property rights but private property rights starting with self-ownership that is you own yourself and therefore your body therefore the only thing you owe and people there's a song yeah that, yep, a song. exactly uh but you own yourself therefore your body and Therefore, the only thing you owe other people and the thing they owe you is non-aggression. So it's like you said, don't hit people, don't take their stuff. And, and it's, it's a simple thing. And I think from a, from a core standpoint, a lot of individuals relate to that. You know, I, I speak at college campuses all the time. I say, you know, you got your car. If I walked outside to your car, bust the window open, someone hot-wired it and drove off with it, you'd be upset. Raise your hand. They're like, Yeah. Like, why? Well, you stole from me. Like, okay, you're correct. I did not have a right to do that. That was an act of aggression and me stealing and uh, uh, damaging and instilling your, your private property. All right, let's expand that to this, 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 and that. And I guess that's more so the difficult thing, if any, is to get people to extend that to the logical conclusion. But when I think libertarianism, I think that, and people, when I say that, a lot of libertarians get it confused and try to make it a lot more complicated because they start limiting it to, to like these social issues, right? And that, it just irks me about libertarians when they talk about, well, it's about it's about these rights for these these sorts of people and these rights for that sort of people, and you gotta agree with people. No, 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 no. It's not. It's not about any of that. You can believe whatever it is that you want. So as long as you you aren't using aggression upon another individual, you and I, I can think that what you're doing is the dumbest thing ever. And you can think what I'm doing is the dumbest thing ever. It doesn't matter. It'd be your lifestyle. This is why I said, you know, one of our checks, nobody's obligated to accept it. Or in that sense, they just owe you non-aggression. So you should be able to practice it on your own property, on, on the property of somebody that could send it for you to be on their property and do that. That is your business. And nobody should be able to imp- impede um, on that and prevent you from doing that. Um, you know, you just can't enforce that on everybody else. Now, you just said something that I think is important for conservatives and and maybe social liberal libertarians because mm-hmm. I've I've noticed that there is this fight absolutely within the libertarian party. It's 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 kind of a proxy for the broader culture war between people that live socially conservatively 
and people that live socially liberally. And I, I feel like they're missing the point of what libertarianism is all about. It's, um, I don't want the government to have the power for you to impose your social values on me. And I think, I think that's a way to not like have to choose sides in the culture yep. war because we're, we're, sort of, we're sort of Switzerland, right? I don't want to tell you how to live your life. Yeah. Um, you, you may suffer consequences for bad decisions, and as your neighbor, I might be willing to sort of step in and, and help you work through that yeah. if you're willing for that. But let's not, uh, let's not outsource this to a third-party politician yeah. government because they don't have your interests nah, in mind. They don't care about you. Them too. And, I, and I'm watching this, this fight go on, and I'm like, I, I don't even understand what we're arguing about because yeah. I think there's room for all sorts of people and all sorts of choices inside of a libertarian world. That's what, that's what tolerance and respect is all yeah, about. Yeah, no, that's what, and again, that's what irks me about, I have these conversations and I see these people arguing, jumping down each other's throat about it because they think that for whatever reason they're limiting libertarianism about, to, to their personal like bias. This is why I've always hated the term, uh, you know, somebody defines libertarianism as, as, as socially liberal and, and or economically conservative. I was like, I hate that because I'm like, that's that's incorrect. No, right. you can be socially liberal, socially conservative, socially in the middle. Well, it doesn't matter where you at. And economically, fiscally, you can be whatever it is that you want. It's just you got to limit that to your own your own self and your own private property, and you can't force that upon um, another individual. So this is why I'm always trying to bring that conversation back to these libertarians. Like libertarianism has nothing to do with your personal social like bias, like it has everything to do with private property rights and limiting. So why why something would be wrong or why something, let's say, would be permissible under libertarianism is dependent on if that violates the you know property rights of another individual, be it in self or, or, or material. So or any, you know, that's all property is. Or, or as your mom might say, live and let live. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm stealing it from your mom again. <laughs> the, and, and this and. And I, I, I wrote a book called Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff. And it was um, designed, it, and it's, it, it was not easy to do because I was trying to translate my, my sort of Austrian economics and classical liberalism and um, everything else, my, my Ayn Rand mm. influence, which she was very important to me when I was yeah. a kid, um, into something that, that, that was basically just fundamentally American values. And, and when I go hang out with my big L libertarian friends or even my small L ones, you know, we're, we're talking about the non-aggression principle, but we're not even talking about that. We're talking about the NAP. Yeah, yeah. And so we're using acronyms yeah. that, that people couldn't possibly understand. And even if they did, it's like, um, why don't you just quote your mom and say, don't hurt yeah. people and don't take their no, stuff. Break it down for the common man to understand. And this is why I think certainly the guys like soul from an economic standpoint and why he was able to impact a lot of people's lives positively because he was able to, he didn't use the jargon. He didn't use the uh, graphs or like basic economics. That was his thing. And in and, and, and him writing, it was like, Hey, I want to write something that's that the common man can understand. And I think that's an effective approach when marketing, if you will, libertarianism is breaking it down for the common man, yeah. you know, to under understand. It's not necessarily about, and I think there's a place for people that are so like philosophically sound and so they have all the ideas in the world. They can break it down. You know, I mean, Human Action by Mises is a long read, man. And maybe there's people that are interested in this. And even I think, but certainly guys like myself, who I believe that we're like front, front line, right? And funneling those people to that information, that source of information. Hey, I want to get it all the time. Hey, man, I want to know more about what it is. You got any books or something that you recommend? That's after I've already read them in and got them interested. Oh, yeah, go read um, The Anatomy of the State by Rothbard. Go read Ethics of Liberty by by Rothbard if you want to understand this mo uh, more. But that was after I reeled them in by just breaking something down for them to understand or putting it in a way that they can better digest it. And I think that's the, the more difficult thing because I, libertarians have all the ideas in the world, right? And we, we, we have the ideas, like we're winning in that aspect, but how do we communicate them? 
Let's break and let's let's pursue that a little bit because let's break down. Uh, you're an anarcho-capitalist, yeah. um, anarchism, capitalism. Um, we've mashed those two words together. Yeah. Uh, I suspect, other than a couple dozen libertarians, <laughs> um, no one has any idea what that means. What does that mean to you? Well, anarcho-capitalism is what I like to say is. Obviously, it's a form of libertarianism, but where a lot of libertarians make exception to the state, which is usually in the aspect of court systems, usually in the aspect of uh, security, defense, mm -hmm. the anarcho-capitalist says, well, we accept that markets are better suited to solve problems, solve issues, why would we make excuses for those institutions? That's all that it is. It's the, it's the, and this is why people word it like usually it's libertarianism to the logical conclusion. Um, now, I will say that a lot of libertarians or mostly anarcho-capitalists have made en enemies out of like minarchists. I don't do that. You know, we're on the same let's, side. Let's even define that term. Oh, well, we, we think, yeah, when I, mean, I think minarchism, I think the standard libertarian. Yeah. I think the guy that believes that this limited government. Limited, yeah, limited, limited Strictly government. Strictly limited right. constitutional government. Right. I don't make those guys, we're on the same side as far as I'm, if we can get to a minarchist society, yeah. then let's start arguing uh, or jumping down each other's throats. Um, but anarcho-capitalism, and this is what, because I, I, I never really crossed that line. I know a lot of, they always say that, hey, the difference between like a minarchist and an anarchist is, is six months. Uh, but I never went that route. Like one thing, led, I got it almost like that. And it was more so anatomy of the state where I keep referencing and no Mises isn't paying me to say this. <laughs> it ain't like that. I'm just that book really opened my eyes because we always think what government is. Um, and then we, they say, like, we're the government and these kind of sort of catchphrases. But when you break it down, that's not really what it is. The way that he defines it more so is this territorial monopoly on like use of force and violence. And I'm like. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's what it is, because if you remove that from the equation, it no longer, it ceases to be be a state. So anarcho-capitalism is extending those ideas that the, usually your standard libertarian is going to say, markets, free markets, capitalism, yada, yada. We just, we don't stop at the court system. We don't stop at, at the defense. We don't stop at anything like that. We say, yeah, those should be privatized as, as well. That's all it is. So I have a, um, I'm, I'm skeptical about using yeah. the word anarchism and I'm skeptical about using the word capitalism because, because you know, technically speaking, and there's um, uh, Logan on my staff uh, gets mad at me because I, <laughs> because I criticize the use of the word anarchism because he's like, that just means no state. Mm -hmm. And, but I think when we say that word, it means the opposite. It means it's chaos and violence. Yeah, that's what and, people associate with it. And kids dressed in black in the streets who are sucker punching people and it's burning cool. cars and all that stuff. And trash cans. Um, but, you know, if you take the tech, technical definition, the absence of a state, um, when you use the word anarchism and you think about our daily lives, um, almost everything we do successfully is completely unplanned, completely undictated. Um, there is no government telling us what to do. There's no, there's no enforcer. There's no central scrutinizer. Right. Um, and, and there has to be a better way to explain sort of uh, the beautiful chaos of, of all these millions of people getting, getting along peacefully and, and, and solving day. problems and doing things. Um, I feel like we should focus on the beauty yeah. of it a little bit more. And the same with capitalism. I, I'm a little bit sympathetic to, to young people when they when they get these these sort of push pulls that say, "Do you like socialism or capitalism?" And I suspect in their minds they're thinking about crony capitalism. Yeah, more, more, I would say <laughs> more often than not, that's exactly what they're what they're thinking about. They're not thinking about capitalism as we define it, which is why I always go out of my way to define it. When somebody I get that question a lot, like as far as capitalism being good or bad and i always define it like capitalism as the certainly the anarcho-capitalist um, advocates is the private ownership of goods and services and the free and voluntary exchange of those private goods and yeah. services so what people generally assault with associate with capitalism the statism is diametrically opposed to 
um, you know, what capitalists actually are advocates of. And I think a lot of that starts with, I mean, same with anarchism, when you think about the historical, more so context of that, when you think about the, um, you know, the proud Huns and, you know, all the, the anarchists that use these terms, right, libertarian um, even even with libertarian looking at mutualists and them using that term historically, it was always associated with leftism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of some some sort. So I have to always try to go out of my way to define capitalism, right? As I as I am an advocate yeah. of, just so it catches on with people and they understand what it is because it's not what they generally associate with it. Whatever, maybe their little professor or whatever however they define it yeah they're Since, marxist professor yeah it's defined it in a way Straw that no, no no uh capitalist actually advocates yeah you know they, they they don't define it like that so i'm always telling them to go back to that and that's how i generally find private ownership of goods and services and the free and voluntary exchange of those private goods and services and if you go from even from soil to to broth bar that's generally how it is it is understood and it it is defined. It does not require government. It doesn't even imply government or anything like that. There are individuals who think that maybe the state needs to exist um, in order for, I guess, it to exist. But that's not the case. It's not what capitalism is. It's not what, um, you know, even I don't think I don't think it's what anarchism is. But that's a whole different discussion. Uh, but capitalism, that's generally how I define it. So I think that it's key if you're going to be some sort of effective communicator is that you break that down and you, I, I usually stop it right there. I don't even move past that. I say when somebody says capitalism, they just say, wait, 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 stop right there. Please define that term for me right now. And then they say, oh, well, it's this, this, now. I was like, well, you're arguing with a brick wall at this point. If you want to go argue against that, that's fine, but that's not what I'm an advocate yeah. of. And it, yeah. it cuts through the conversation. I think this is the, the gift and the curse of being a libertarian because generally libertarians think they got the world figured out. Right. And they assume that how they view the world and that knowledge base, everybody else views it that yeah, way. They're not listening. Yeah. They're not listening and they're not imagining how other people might in, interpret words, either popular words like capitalism or, or pretty obscure words like uh, the non-aggression principle yeah. or something like that. I'm sort of obsessed with words and I, my my top secret mission in life which i say every day uh, publicly is i want to steal some of our words back from the progressive oh, left like liberal liberal <laughs> because you know libertarianism hayek says this yeah. it's, a, it's a made-up word it doesn't really convey who we are um but other words too like justice yeah and and one in particular uh, community mm. and I, th I think i think libertarians have been straw manned um, with this caricature, and Ayn Rand has been strawmanned with this caricature of what she was talking about, you know, when she talks about individualism and, and even selfishness. Yeah. Uh, you have to understand her in the context of she fled the Bolshevik Revolution. Yeah. And it was it was kind of a rage against the the communist machine. I no, I'm a person. <laughs> yeah. And you don't own me, but uh, but I do think we we don't tell the story of community very well. And how it is that that um, free people uh, naturally help each other, naturally solve problems, naturally lift up people that are in trouble. Um, you know, the welfare state discourages that. If you can outsource it to a third yeah, party, why do it? Why do it? Yeah. But but we do we do, we need to talk about the community aspect of, of libertarianism. I agree because I think people think um, for whatever reason it's more of a hyper. It is an individualist philosophy but they they go hyper individualist as in me 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 right and i think the straw man the people that straw man the philosophy the ideas that's what they that's how they try to convey it but in acknowledging the fact that i own myself is me saying that i'm i'm certainly willing still to be cordial with the individual next to me um be you have some sort of have some sort of sense of community and and that's a that's why we're advocates in the first place and this is what we have to do a better job of communicating that's why we're advocates of, of these ideas in free markets because we recognize that individuals are better suited to solve these issues by mingling with each other and the best ideas win 
You know what I mean? It makes things cheaper for us. It makes our living standard of living better, higher. Because we don't have this third party sort of arbitrary that gave gave themselves really the power to dictate how individuals are supposed to live their lives. And they they are set with a task. The way I always word this is the state is set with a task that is utterly impossible. They think that they can speak on behalf of every single individual and they simply cannot do that. It is literally impossible for them to do that because every individual is an individual and people sometimes gravitate towards people that are like them in ideas. Um, But I think in and not to go on too much of a tangent, but I think that people acting in their own self-interest is what ends up actually bettering our own lives. I know Ian, she did a great job in communicating this and Walter Williams, the analogy that he always uses, like people like, oh, they brag on him, rag on him about talking about greed, right? And he's like, well, I don't, I don't see greed as an inherently bad thing because think about it like this, an Idaho potato farmer trying to get potatoes to the New Yorkers, right? You New Yorkers, you know, it's not he didn't get it over there simply because he cared about feeding them. He wanted to make a buck. And in doing that, however, the the living standards of both individuals being free to exchange those potatoes. One side said, I value the dollar more than I value uh, uh, that potato. And the other side said, I value the potato more than I value the dollar. And both of these people in that cordial, peaceful exchange bettered their living standards unknowingly. Second, that we don't think about the beat. This is why people always go talk about racism and, and, and hate and all of this stuff. And you read, the, you listen to the media or you maybe even you get on social media. You think that it's running rampant. But you think about the cordial exchanges that you have with individuals on a daily basis. Be it you just went to the store to grab a Red Bull. And you had a peaceful exchange with probably somebody that was of a different race than you, maybe um, that was the clerk. You exchanged, have a nice day, walk. There's a peaceful, cordial exchange. And those happen all around us. We just don't generally think about our everyday like doings. Like we don't think about those as peaceful, voluntary uh exchange and people aren't holding guns to our heads as we're having those voluntary you know exchanges and we have because we're these sort of social creatures everybody's a part of these different subcultures people like the same sports team like different sports teams it brings them together they are at a football game they have a have a lot of fun have friends over and all this stuff like we have these subcultures that we belong to and libertarianism doesn't outlaw any of this stuff like it encourages it this is why we want the markets to be free to allow us to be able to uh you know mingle with people that would mingle with with us unfortunately the government sometimes makes it difficult to do they penalize people um you know for for doing that and they have historically said that you can't be with this type of person um we're gonna outlaw that you know what i mean or you can't have this sort of exchange with no matter how voluntary it is but this is why we want to rid the state uh of its rule be uh over people's lives because we do want to become more you know, social creatures. And I think that in doing that, it works out for everybody, just in the analogy that I use with the Idaho potato farmers and the New Yorkers. Well, let's talk about a, a peaceful, mutually beneficial exchange, because I think I think a lot of people watching this, um, they want to know when the next album's coming out. <laughs> because uh, if, if I can listen to uh, songs that translate libertarian values into, into something that's just a, an enjoyable experience that'll melt my face off. So you, you guys have, you guys have completed recording a new album. Yeah. Where, where are you guys in the process? Well, right now, um, like people have to understand that we do do everything ourselves because we don't have a label. So generally if you were on a label, all you would do is go and they pay for you to record. You're done. They do everything else. Think about all the things, whether it be coming up with a marketing scheme, a plan, uh, putting the, the album together. Uh, you guys produce and mix. And all, all, all of that is done. This is in house. Yeah. So we have to do all of that. So it's recorded, written, recorded, done. Uh, it's going through the mix and master process now. And then we're also coming up with our marketing um, for it. So this year, for sure, it will be it will be out. And I expect people they're going to love what we've done. I think we we hit people over the head with all kinds of music last time. 
We had some rap elements. We had straight rap songs. We had straight hardcore songs, straight just really brutal sort of metal tracks. And I think this expands on some of those ideas, but we mix it up even even more so. So I'm really excited to get this out because I think this, even more than the first album, which was seemingly a test run, this even more so I think represents the individuals uh, within it. So by this year, you'll have you'll have something, uh, you know, in hand, hopefully soon that you're going to relate to. Uh, it'll have that message that it's have that it's had. And there's some elements that certainly from a social aspect that we weren't able to touch on last album that we're going to be expanding expanding on so it's not the same exact approach same exact feel as the first album but it does have that you hear it and you think backwards you think freedom you think you think uh cool storylines you think brutal melt your face off in your face music and i think it's going to be something for everybody even more so than the last album very cool so we're in dallas right now i've come to your hometown yeah uh, when you guys go back on tour i'd love to have you back on yeah. in dc do it let's do something there because uh i think there's a lot more to talk about we're just yeah. scratching the surface i, I love the conversation yeah for sure let's do it i'm 100 with it thanks for listening to kibbe on liberty make sure to subscribe and rate our podcast so we can reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people